If you have your Bible, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, we actually have been sort of walking through the book of Hebrews. And, and uh, so far we've learned that God is speaking to us by His Son Jesus and that Jesus is greater than any created being and, and that Jesus is enough for us and, and there doesn't need to be anything said or done because Jesus is enough and He's done enough. And, and, and we've learned that since God Himself carried, in the person of Jesus, carried the message that we better pay attention to the message of salvation that He brings and we have to be careful not to neglect this salvation because there isn't any place else to go. You know, anybody that tells you that all roads lead to God, I mean, that's just, that's a lie. It's just not true. It's, here's the reality. I mean, would you believe somebody that said, hey, all roads lead to Disney World? No, you'd say, no, that's crazy. You got to know the right direction to go if you want to get where you want to go. And that's what Jesus said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He is the way. And so that's how you find God. And, then you, and there is no other way to deal with our sins. We, we can't deal with it. We can't go to heaven without Him. And, and, and we've, we've all uh, suffered these things. We've all been guilty of sin. I mean, isn't that true? Anybody here ever sin in your life? Let me, let me take it. Anybody just raise your hand. Anybody? I mean, it's pretty simple. The Bible says not to lie. How many of you ever told a lie? Let me see your hand. If you didn't raise your hand, that's probably at least your second one right there. All right? And, and how many lies does it take for you to be a liar? One. If I tell one lie, I'm a liar. And I can never untell a lie. Isn't that true? You can tell the truth later. But I can't change the fact that I told a lie when I should have told the truth. I can't remove that. That's only, that's only Jesus can do that. Only he can remove that and make me where I'm not a liar anymore. So those are some of the things we've been talking about. And today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2. And we're going to find here in this chapter, it gives us four reasons why Jesus came to earth as a man. Now I'm really only going to just briefly mention the first three because I feel like God has laid in my heart that we need to spend a little time on the fourth one. So let's read Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to pick it up in verse 5. This is what it says. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a, 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 for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for, for who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For, for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God, uh, uh, the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So why did Christ come? I'm going to give you the three first three reasons real quickly. The first reason Jesus came, he came to taste death. 
I mean, this is God. He has never experienced death. He came to taste death. In essence, what he did, and I don't know, I mean, I could preach on all these for a while, but I'm not going to. I'm going to spare you today. But he came to taste death that should have been mine. He came to take death that should have been mine. Death is the picture of the grace of God. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That means that we already clarified the fact that we're all sinners in here. That means that every one of us, what we got coming to us is death. That's what we've earned. That's our wages. But it says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The, his death on the cross is the grace of God giving us things that we don't deserve. Giving us life that we don't deserve. Giving us forgiveness that we don't deserve. The second thing, he came to destroy the devil. That's a really powerful one right there. The Bible tells us that the devil only wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the only reason he exists. That's what he wants to do. Anything in your life that you value, anything that's important to you, the devil wants to steal that from you. So if you value your joy and your peace or your family, he wants to steal that away from you. Anything that breathes life into you, he wants to kill it. He wants to, 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 to choke it out in your life. Anything that you, that, that, that you try to build for eternity, he wants to destroy it. He is your enemy. He's trying to destroy your life and, and take you out. And Jesus came to earth so that through his death, he would crush that enemy of your soul. That means God is on your side. Some people think, Somehow God is against me and God has done these things to me. But it's the enemy of your soul that wants to destroy you. I don't know how on earth God became the enemy in our culture. Well, here, here's really what happened. It's because, and tell me if you don't relate with this a little bit, at least as a parent with your children, you'll see this. It's because we think we know what's best for us. And we tend to think that what's best for us is what we want right now. We're like little kids. How many of you, your kids have ever been like that? They think that what they need is what they want and what they want, they want right now, even if, even though sometimes, you know, that's not good for you. You can't do that. It's like my, my youngest daughter, when she was two, we'd get in the car and I'd strap her in her car seat and she'd get all mad at me because she'd say, I want to drive. <laughs> and I was like, I'm like, no, no, not, you can't drive. Uh, you know, you've got to wait till you're five before you can drive. Uh, no, I didn't let her drive at five, really. But, but it wasn't that, that I didn't want her to have joy. It's that I wanted her to live. And I wanted other people to live, too. See, so, so we're like that, where we think, man, what I really need is what I want right now. But what you want right now might destroy you. And so God says, sometimes he says no to those things. But the third thing, he came to deliver us from lifelong slavery to sin. By, by destroying the power of the enemy through his death, the end result is that you and I are set free from this lifelong slavery to sin. And the Bible says, Jesus said, anybody who sins is a slave to sin. That means that if you don't have Jesus in your life, you really don't have the power in and of yourself to say no to sin. You're going to continue to sin. You're going to continue to do those things that you hate. That's why you need Jesus. And he came to set us free from that because before Jesus came, we had no hope of ever being free because I can't ever remove the things that I've done wrong. I can say I'm sorry. I can apologize to people, but I can never 
make it where I didn't do it. Can never remove it. But Jesus came to bring us that freedom. But there, those are the first three reasons. And I could preach on all three of those at length, but I'm not going to do that today because I believe we need to camp for a little while on reason number four. And I'll, I'll tell you what reason number four is in a few minutes, but, but I want to just sort of set the table before we get into reason number four, okay? Before I do that, would you just bow your head and just, let's just ask for the Lord's help. Lord, I just pray to you that you would help us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that Jesus came into this world and I'm grateful that it wasn't just some random event, but it was part of your plan to redeem a fallen uh, creation. God, I just pray today that you would encourage uh, the hearts of your people, remind us of your great love and your great mercy that's been directed toward us. Speak to us deep in our innermost being. Uh, get past our, the level of our intellect and our emotion. And, and I'm believing you, God, for miracles in the lives of, of these people here today. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I want to set the table by telling you a little story. The year 2007. How many of you have ever had a, a, a rough stretch in life, a, a bad year? Year 2007 was a hard year for me. Near the end of that year, there were two events that, that, that rocked my world and, and during which I, I really struggled. The first was that my grandmother passed away. It was, it was, she was elderly, obviously, but, uh, but the, I, I got a phone call that they had found her unresponsive in the morning and they had taken her to the hospital and she never regained consciousness and and, uh, you know, and, and it was sad. It was really hard because we lived 1,600 miles away from, from uh, my family. And, and, I, and because it happened so suddenly, I never got to talk to her. I never got to, she didn't regain consciousness, so I didn't get to say goodbye. There are so many things that, that I, I regret because uh, there were things that I would like to have said that I didn't get to say. And we've all been there. And that's why it's important to say the things that matter in life right now when you can. And that was hard enough in and of itself. You know, I love my grandma uh, so much. But, but her death, the thing was that made it harder was that her death came on the heels of a different event that, that rocked our entire family. About a week before my grandmother passed away, my niece, whose name is Rebecca, was diagnosed with kidney cancer. I remember that was a, 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 really a, a blow to my family and me. At the time, both of my girls were very small. And I just, I kept thinking when I heard the news about my niece, I kept thinking about how I would feel if this had happened to one of my children, you know, and I just, I really struggled with it. I, I remember getting that call and I remember hearing the fear and the sorrow and the angst in my brother's voice. And all the while I felt really, really helpless in both situations because we were 1600 miles away. And I thought about that and, and those experiences. The thing is, isn't that the human experience? That in one moment, everything can be so beautiful and so right. And, and then one phone call or one conversation or one letter. And all of a sudden, the soul, your soul gets reacquainted with the gravity of living in a fallen world. You, you know what I mean by gravity? I'm talking about those moments where all of a sudden you just feel like your soul can't breathe. 
And every time in those days, every time my daughters came anywhere near me, I just sort of attacked them. They were probably wonder, wondering, what's, what's gone wrong with my daddy? What's the deal here? He won't leave me alone, you know. But because any time they were near me, I, I, I was just thinking about Rebecca and thinking, what if this happened to my kids? And every time they came anywhere near me, I was just kissing them like crazy. You know, they'd be trying to pull over and say, no, sit with me. And, you know, they're like, they're like, good Lord, get off me, you know. What's gone wrong with my daddy? But anytime I was around my daughters, I was thinking about my niece. And I would just begin to feel overwhelmed with everything that was happening on. And, and I don't want to be honest with you because it's important that we're honest and open here. But I was so frustrated because I knew that in, in an instant, if God wanted to, he could heal her. But for some reason, he hadn't. And I remember fighting that. And I, I'm talking to God about it, and I'm angry about it. By the way, God is not, a, uh, he's not a, afraid of you getting angry with him. I mean, have your kids ever been angry with you? You didn't reject them, did you? But I was angry about it. And, and listen, I, I know theology. You want to sit down and t talk theology with me? I can, I can sit down for hours and I can talk about how all things work together for the good of those who love God and called according to purpose. I know all those things. But you know what? Right then at that moment, I couldn't figure out how the life of a nine-year-old girl had anything to do with what God was doing in his kingdom. You ever been there? Frustrated? Can't figure out the answers? So I was frustrated with what God was doing or really what God wasn't doing. Then on top of that, I was wondering about how he relates to me in those moments. Like, does he ever lose patience at how slow I am to trust him? You know, I, I don't know about you, but when I fall into the same sin over and over and over and over and over again, does, does he ever look at me and just say, come on, when are you, you going to figure this out? So, so this is the tear in my own soul where with one breath I'm frustrated with God and yet in the next breath I, I really want him to like me, you know? I'm like, I'm like why don't you hug me? You know, it's just this back and forth. I'm just torn inside. I'm kind of stuck in that really weird place where it's like I don't get this, I don't like this, I don't want this, but I also want whatever you have for me. It just seemed like it was just too much to carry with my niece, the church I was pastoring at the time, my grandmother, my, my own securities, my own faults, my own failures. So, so I, I got to thinking and wrestling with all this stuff and, and, you know, just real life stuff. Because how many of you know real life is not a bed of roses? Have you figured that out? The scripture from Isaiah came to my mind where it says that Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And I started thinking about the life of Jesus and how he lived and the things that, that he went through and what he lived through. And, and what I want to do for the next few minutes, I want, to, I want, to, I want you just to, I want to talk to you about the life of Jesus and, and what he, how he lived, what he went through. I want, to, I want you to walk with me through the life of Jesus. And, and, and while we do this, I just want you to look around a little bit. Look around at his life. And maybe we'll see our own struggles, our own shortcomings, our own struggle with sin, our own lack of faith sometimes. Maybe we'll see those things from a new perspective. At least, at least that's my hope for us today. So Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1, says this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's understatement of the year right there. 
Um, I fast 40 minutes and I'm like hungry, you know. Anyway, verse 3, And the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their, their hands you will, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. H have you ever had that moment where, for whatever reason, God just suddenly kind of stirs the pot of your soul and all of a sudden you just want to know Him. You're just like, something's missing. I need to find out about God. I want to get close to Him. Maybe, maybe it's because you come into a service like this or maybe somebody just says something to you in a conversation and, and all of a sudden you're going, okay, I, I, I want to know Him. I, I want to know Him. I want to experience Him. I want to walk with Him. So, so you, you start setting up all the, the things that are necessary for that to happen, or at least what you think is necessary. So you, you grab your Bible and you, you grab that prayer journal you started in 2018, but only put one entry in. And, and you, 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 you lay that down and you, maybe you light a vanilla candle. And I don't know what you do to get in the mood. Put, put on the Braveheart soundtrack or something. I don't know what you do. Uh, but but what, you do whatever you can to, to kind of get contemplative and sort of just slow the, your soul down and you, you do all that you know, everything you can to get yourself into that place where you can experience God and you can sync up with Him and you can get back into the groove with Him. And, and so the candles lit and the music's playing in the background and the scriptures are open and, and the pen is sitting there on, on top of your journal. And, and in that moment when, when all you wanted was to sync up with, with God, all you wanted to, was to just sit in, the, in His lap and all you wanted was to hear from Him, when all you wanted was to get to that, back to that place where you were so near to Jesus, although everything's in place, the only voice you hear is the darkness inside of you or maybe even the voice of the devil himself? Or maybe worse than that, you hear nothing? Have you ever had that moment where you just wanted to know God so badly, but it seemed like every time you tried to get near to Him, the voice of what is dark inside of you just got louder and louder? Your own lust, your own pride, your own fear? You know what? The gravity of walking with the Father the weight of trying to sync up with him, it seems like Jesus walked in some of that. Jesus heads out in the wilderness and he's, he's about to start his ministry. He says, I'm going to start my ministry. I want to, I want to sync up with the Father. I want, I want, I want to start, uh, after I sync up with him, I want, then I want to start ministering. And he, he gets out there and, and, and who is it when Jesus gets out in the wilderness, who is it that keeps talking? The devil. The, the gravity of trying to find God, it seems like he lived through that. Then in, in Matthew 21, in this chapter, Jesus rides into the town in the beginning of the week, the week before his crucifixion. He rides into town in the beginning of the week, and, and, and Jesus and, uh, does this, and as he rides into town, the whole town just, just blows up in celebration. 
They're, they're, I mean, they're ripping off palm leaves and they're shouting, Hosanna, you're the king, you're the king, we love you, Jesus, you're the king. I mean, they're like they're whipping out Torah scrolls and getting them, you know, to autograph them and stuff like that. And, and I mean, the place is just going mad for Jesus. And almost all week long, the entire crowd follows him. And the whole time, they're talking about how great he is, how awesome he is. All the time they're saying, man, you ought to be our king. You should conquer the Romans Thursday. We're we're with you, Jesus. We'll follow you because you're the one. You're the king. You're the Messiah. You're amazing. Lord, everybody, look at Jesus. And then by the end of the week, he gets arrested, beat senseless, and then they stand his broken body up in front of that same crowd. And now the same people that had been following him around talking about how great he was are screaming, crucify him. Here's the question. Have you ever been hated? Have you ever been hated? Have you ever been unjustly hated? Maybe it's because because of the color of your skin, or maybe it's because of the way you look, or maybe maybe you have no clue why, but there's this group of people or this one person or this part of your family that just hates you. And I wonder what Jesus must have thought as he stood there and the very people that he came to love and the very people he came to heal cried out for his own brutal death. Gravity of being hated? Seems like Jesus walked in some of that. Or how about this? Flip flip over to Luke 22. Now, as we read this, Jesus has has his crew that follows him everywhere. The scriptures at one point tell us that he had a crew of about 120, and then he had a crew of about 72 that he sent out, that he had a group of 12, and then in that group of 12, he had a group of three. And, And he tends to be more and more intimate and a lot more closer relationally the smaller the number got. So he's got the 120 that that he kind of knows. He's got the 72 that he's sending out on mission. He's got the 12 that he's taking with him just about everywhere. And then he's got the three that he's really, really digging in with. I want you to watch this with me. See what happened. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 47. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to what? To kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Jesus in the garden has one of the twelve betray him. Now, now you're following me here? He, he was one of the twelve, not, not, not one of the seventy-two, not one of the hundred and twenty, one of the twelve, one of the, those that he was closest to. He, one of them who, who saw Talitha, the girl who he, Jesus raised from the dead, he saw Talitha rise up from the dead. One who, who heard Jesus cry out to Lazarus when he said, Lazarus, come forth, and then a dead man came walking out of a tomb. One who was, who was in the boat with Jesus when Jesus, used, using only his voice silenced nature and nature obeyed him one who who got to come up to jesus and say hey we don't understand this parable you just you just told uh we don't understand this and jesus says okay here's what it means is this was one who saw every miracle and heard every word of his powerful teaching and he saw the way that jesus lived his life and that man walks up and kisses Jesus on the face. And if, I read, if you read it, Jesus goes, with, with a kiss? 
You're going to betray me with a kiss, Judas? With a sign of love and affection, you're going to betray me? You're, you're one of my boys. Why? Why? Have you ever known the gravity of being betrayed? And I don't mean just some random betrayal, just some random fool that doesn't know you very well. I'm talking about that guy on the inside. I mean, I'm talking about that family member, that person you trusted with your very life, the one that catches you completely off guard and demoralizes you, the one you've spent time with, the one you've breathed life into, the one you've sacrificed for, the one you gave to, the one you invited into your inner circle, the one that you've just kind of uh, just unpacked time and energy for them, probably even neglected time with your family for them. I mean, have you ever been betrayed by that guy yet? Because if it hasn't, I hate to tell you, but you're on the clock. The gravity of betrayal by one of the inner circle. It seems like Jesus, the son of God, walked in some of that. Then John chapter four, one of my favorite stories. In this story, Jesus gets tired. Which is interesting to me that the Son of God got tired. And not only does he get tired, but, but he gets tired and, and, and the rest of the disciples aren't tired. They're ready to keep going. And, and if you remember the story, they're, they're walking through Samaria and Jesus basically says, I'm done here. I'm sitting down. And he sits down at the well and he tells his disciples to go on into town and get him something to eat. And I actually, honestly, I, a side note, I, I kind of wanted would like to have been there to hear the conversation as they're walking into town while Jesus is sitting at the well. I mean, I, I just imagine, my imagination goes wild. Are they sitting there, Jesus sitting there as they're walking along and, and, and they're going into town to get him something. And are they saying things like, this guy can fi feed 5,000 people, but he can't get his own sandwich? Let's deal with this guy. You know, I mean, I just love to hear the conversation. Jesus says, I'm going to sit down for a bit. Go get me a sandwich. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been tired? Yeah. I, and I mean the kind of tired that finally kills your pride. See, we have this pride that, that, that keeps us from admitting that we're tired when we're, when we're exhausted, especially us men. You know, like guys, if you're working out together or something in a gym, you know, and then, and then, and then the, like one of us gets really, really, starts getting really, really tired, but the other two look like they're doing okay, then that third guy, he's just going to fight through no matter what. That's just the way we are. It doesn't matter if everything in your body is saying, shut her down, you're, you're going to push through. That's what guys do. And, uh, and so, I mean, you're like running on the treadmill and you look over and, at your buddy and his eye is hanging out of his, out of his head and you're like, hey, you can stop. And he's like, no, I'm all right. Happens all the time. You know, it's just, we're just, that's just the way we are. We have this pride where we don't want to admit that we're tired. But have you ever been so tired that you finally don't care that you look weak? That's what I'm saying because, man, we've got this pride and we, where we will say we're okay when we're not. And we'll pretend that we're not exhausted when we are. Have you ever been so tired that you just couldn't pretend anymore? You were just done. It seems like Jesus was acquainted with the gravity and the weight of being tired, of being exhausted. Or how about this one? Flip it over to Matthew 26. It says this, Then Jesus went with him to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. So that's the twelve. Uh, the, the twelve sit here, and then, then he, he goes to the inner circle. 
And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Which, by the way, you can, you can ask a billion people to describe Jesus and sorrowful and troubled. It's not going to make that list. But then verse 38, then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to, the, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it is be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but, you, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, which, which poor Peter, I mean, there are three of them there. Why does he get singled out? But he says to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Here's my question. Have you ever been overwhelmed? Have you ever just been overwhelmed like the tears and the shouting are just not enough to get it out of you? Like there's this overwhelming angst in you, you where, where you, where you want to hit something, but there's nothing or nobody to hit, and, and you just want to cry out, but no matter how much you do, it's still there no matter what, what you do. It's just overwhelming. Have you ever gotten to the place where you, you just don't know what to do? There's nothing left to do. You, you screamed your heart out. You've, you, you've waded through your doubt. You've sobbed your eyes out. You've shaken your fist, and you've just got nothing left. Have you ever felt... The, the full-on gravity of being so overwhelmed that all you can do is just throw yourself on the ground. Seems like Jesus walked in some of the gravity of being overwhelmed. Or you don't have to turn here, but I'll just do one last one, and then we'll get back to Hebrews and finish it up, and we'll tie it all together. The Scripture tells us that at one point in time, a good friend of Jesus got sick and he died. The man's name was Lazarus. But four days after Lazarus died, Jesus shows up in the village. As soon as he shows up there, everybody starts sobbing and wailing and mourning. And if you've never lost anybody, let me explain kind of what happens. It, what ends up happening is that there's a cycle of mourning and fog. Mourning is M-O-U-R and being sad, the sadness and fog, sadness and fog. And every time a new member of the family or a new friend shows up or somebody that you care about, you know, the, the grieving just fires up all over again. So there's, there's this initial shock and then you begin to sob with your family and then it kind of calms down and then grandma shows up and you begin to sob and cry all over again and then that calms down and then your best friend gets to the house and then you begin to sob and cry all over again and then that finally levels off and, it, it, and everything feels like it's going to be all right. Then all of a sudden your sister shows up and then all of a sudden it's, it's, it just, it's this two-day, 48-hour coaster ride of of sobbing and being numb, and sobbing and being numb, sobbing and being numb. And if you've ever lost somebody, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so this village, they're kind of on this ride. And Jesus walks into the town, and, and as soon as he gets there, it just busts out again. And everybody is sobbing, everybody is crying, everybody is mourning. And Lazarus's sister comes up to Jesus and says, Oh, Jesus, if, if you'd just been here, if you, if you would have just been here, you could have stopped this. And Jesus, his soul kind of resonating with the whole mess, begins to sob. He begins to sob. Now, mind you, he knows he's about ready to raise him from the dead. But he feels the weight of that loss. Jesus walked in the gravity of loss. So let's go over to back to Hebrews 2, starting in verse 16. This is what it says. For surely 
It is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Now that's you and me, because according to Romans 11, we as, as Gentile believers have been grafted in, so we are now also children of Abraham. But he, verse 17, therefore he, ha, he, he, he had to be made like his brothers in what? In every respect. Why? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for, he, for because he himself has suffered. Did you hear that? For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now follow me here. As you look at Jesus' life like what we did, and you can take a lot more in-depth look at sometime if you want, but if you look at Jesus' life, he lived a really hard life, man, didn't he? I mean, he's betrayed, he's hated, he feels alone at times, he feels the pain of loss, he lives this very difficult life, and then all of that is consummated with this brutal death on a cross. And when you begin to think about it, it just, just doesn't add up. Because listen, he could have been born in a major, he could have lived an easy life, and then died on the cross, and it would have been enough to, to cover our sins. He would have been enough to take care of our sins. So why? Why does he have to be betrayed? Why does he have to taste loss? Why does he have to experience hate? Why does he have to walk in these things? Why does he have to be tempted? Well, Hebrews 2 tells us that he endured those things so that when my phone rang, on that day in October of 2007 when what was going so well went so badly he could sit there with me and he could say I know I know and as my heart grew frustrated he could sit and say I know and when I felt lost and wondered where he was and what he was doing, he wasn't looking at me and saying, oh, come on, Hoskins, haven't I shown you enough? Haven't I done enough for you in your life to trust me on this one? No, he would just sit there and he would say, I know, I know. I know, I know this stings. I know this hurts. I know you don't understand this. I know it doesn't make any sense. I know, I remember, I lost. I lost too. And the point comes to me that the fourth reason, and this brings so much comfort to my heart, the fourth reason Jesus came to this earth is Jesus came so that we would not be alone in our pain and in our sorrow. I guarantee every, play, every person in this place, unless they're very young, you, you have walked through pain. You have walked through sorrow. Some of you may be walking through that pain and sorrow right now in your life. And we're living in this broken world and you don't understand it. You don't understand why did, I why did things turn out the way that they have? Why are things the way they are? And I'm here to tell you that I don't have easy theological answers for you. But I'm here to tell you Jesus came so that you don't have to walk through that alone. You don't have to walk through that alone. I, and I want you to get this because I know that there's a real danger that when the gravity of life pushes on us, the danger is for us to become bitter and for us to become angry. I'm sure that you know bitter and angry people and, and it's easy for us to become frustrated deep in our soul. And in that moment when, when everything begins to unwind on you and life begins to fall apart and you have question and answer and pain and sorrow, if you don't get that 
Jesus is right there going, I know, I know, man, I've walked it, I've felt it, I've been where you are, that gravity that's currently crushing you, I know that, I've experienced that. If you don't get that, then instead of running towards Jesus, you will run from Him. And I know that the danger is there because it happens all over Scripture. Like in the book of Ruth, there's this woman named Naomi. And her husband dies. And then right after her husband dies, her two sons die. And she goes back to her hometown and the people try to call her Naomi. And she looks at them and says, don't call me Naomi anymore. That's not my name. My name is Mara. And Mara is the Hebrew word for bitter. Bitter. The weight of the brokenness of this fallen world pressed on her and she let it overcome her and she became bitter and she became angry and the loss, the the struggle became all there was and she became ignorant of the beauty that was still there. What about Job? If Job, if anybody ever had a worse day in the history of the world than what Job endured, I've never read it. In Job, after losing everything, all his money, his property, his family, his children are dead. He has, he's, he's destitute. He has no money left. He, and he's lost his health. And he sits there and he eventually gets to the place where he says, Okay, God, you give and you take away. Blessed be your name. But, but Job's wife, she snaps. She says, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die, you fool. She let all the pain and all of that bitterness and all the frustration eat away at her until she had nothing left. She's just in a rage, railing against God. Okay, so hear me. Some of you are sitting there saying to yourself, you're saying, man, I've I've had a rough year. Some of you are saying, man, it's been a rough three years. Some are saying, year, it's been a rough decade. Some of you have been betrayed so badly. Some of you feel lost today. Some of you are so tired, so exhausted. Maybe you're overwhelmed. Well, as I said, I have no good religious answers for you because the truth is theology is not a warm blanket for the soul. But but hear me say this. Jesus is here and he understands. You're not alone. Not, not to say, he, he's here not to say, when you're going to get this figured out. Not, not to point the finger and say, when are you going to have enough faith? Not to even throw the whole, I created the whole universe thing in your face. But just to sit there with you and say, I know. I know. I understand. You're not alone. I have no cute answers. I have no bracelets, no bumper stickers, no t-shirts. I'm just resting in the fact that Jesus lived a really, really hard life so he could sit with me in my sorrow and pain. And, and I don't know why, but that really helps me. I don't, I don't know where you are. I don't know what, what's going on in your life. You may be sitting there. You might be saying, man, I, I was doing good, dude, before I came here. You're bringing me down. I felt great till all this happened. And, or maybe, maybe you're not. Maybe things are tough. Maybe some of you right now for the first time in a while are aware that Jesus is here. And then he knows. Well, maybe the best thing you can do is not ignore that, not rush out of here, not run from Jesus, but to run to him. Maybe, maybe you should just 
slow down. Sit, sit here for a little while to gain some strength. Maybe, maybe we just need to bask in the knowledge that he's here and that he knows and that he loves me and that he's going to help me through this and just take a big drink of that. Whatever you're dealing with, whether it's loss, it's hate, whether it's being overwhelmed or whether it's something else, I want you to know Jesus knows. He's not going to abandon you. I told a story last week about an elderly couple driving down the road in their pickup truck, and it was an old truck, one of those with a bench, tri- bench seat all across. And, and uh, as they're driving down the road, the, the, the elderly lady turns to, to her husband and says, Do you know what's happened to us over the years? When we first got married, we used to sit so close together, and, and, and we would snuggle, and it was so precious. And, and, and she was complaining about it for a while, and then the guy is sitting at the wheel looked at her and said, I didn't move. And you look at your life and you say, God, you feel so far from me. You feel so far. Where did you go? Where are you? I want you to know God is at the wheel saying, I didn't move. I've been here all the time. I've just been waiting for you to to come back to me. I've been waiting for you to scoot across that seat. He said, if we'll draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. He's just been waiting for you. He wants you to know you are not alone. You're not alone. Maybe you need to to find somebody and grab them and and ask them to pray with you. Or maybe you need to come out of the altar. There's nothing magical about the carpet up here. It's just just kind of a way to come up here and sometimes you say, okay, Lord, I'm just going to lay this at your feet. Whatever it is, turn to Jesus. He loves you. He knows exactly what you're dealing with. And he's never going to abandon you. He's never going to leave you. You are not alone. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these men and I thank you for these women. I thank you, God, even even for the weight and for the sorrow that sometimes falls in life because sometimes it's those things, God, that, that cause us to turn to you. And if that's what's happening, God, I thank you for it. I pray for my, my brothers and sisters here who might feel so alone in their loss or they might feel so alone in their sin or, or so alone in their own struggles. But Lord, I know you have not abandoned us and you're not sitting over us waiting for us to figure it out and finally get it right. And I thank you, God, that you hurt, that, that we, uh, that, that, the, the, the hurt that we feel in our hearts, God, that, and the confusion that we feel in our hearts that it's felt by you as well. I don't know why that helps helps us, God, but it does. So God, today I ask for strength. I pray for so many in this room that are hurting today. I pray that you'd heal, or that you'd at least make us aware that you're here and that you know. I believe in your love. I believe in your grace. I believe in your mercy. I believe in your goodness. It's because I believe in those things that I pray today and ask you to be those things for my friends in this room today. And with heads bowed and eyes closed and nobody's looking around. And listen, I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise you that. But I wonder if there's anybody here who would say, Pastor Dave, I want you to pray for me. I'm, I'm hurting. I'm going through some stuff right now. I've been betrayed. I've been hurt. I've lost. I'm hurting. And I just need Jesus to help me. 
If that's you today, would you slip your hand up right where you are? I want to I pray for you. Yes. Oh, their hands all over the place. Anybody else? You can, you can put them right back down. Anybody else? You're not alone. You're not alone. I want to I pray for you. But as I pray for you, would you pray a prayer in your own words? It doesn't have to be anything special. He doesn't care about the words. What he cares about is the heart. But would you just talk to him for a minute while I pray for you? And just say, Jesus, I need your touch. I can see his spirit touching some of you already. Would you say, Lord, I felt so alone, but I know I'm not alone. Just ask him to help you. Turn to him. Surrender your life. Surrender your pain. Surrender it all to him while I pray for you. Would you do that? Lord, you see every heart. Those that are even now praying and they're just saying to you, Jesus, I've tried it my way and it didn't work. Now, Lord, I, I turn my life over to you. Now I look to you, and Jesus, I thank you that I'm not alone. And you see those that are hurting. You see those that, that it just feels like life at times is just falling apart, and, and they feel the gravity of living in this broken world. Lord, God, I pray that right now that they would feel your touch. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would touch them, and you would heal, that you would encourage, that you would remind them that they're not alone. They have you. They have the family of God. And Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name today that those in this room that make that decision, that they would trust you. Lord, you said that if we confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And so, Lord, right now, we want to confess that we're sinners. We ask you to forgive us and we declare and recognize that you are the Lord of our lives. If that's you right now, just in your own way, just surrender to him. Just confess your sin and say, Jesus, please forgive me. And when you do that, we know, we know that He adopts us. Lord, I pray for everybody in this room that's hurting. Wrap your arms around them. Let them know you're there. And you'll never leave them. You'll never forsake them. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.